Well, g'day there and welcome to the Oak City Church podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today for another encouraging message from our Sunday gatherings of Oak City Church. If we can connect with you in any way, please see us at oakcitychurch.com.au or check out our socials online. We hope to see you in person soon. Story both now, it has been, and it will continue to be in the future. So, just want to encourage you guys in that. Uh, as, as Charlie said, we're not too far from here, um, about 20 minutes that way outside of an area of concern in Hawkesbury. We weren't allowed to visit IKEA for a few weeks there. Um, but, yeah, now we, we love Blacktown, we love what God's doing in Western Sydney, and, uh, and I do feel like there's a bit of a hospital bus today with the passage <laughs> that I'm, this isn't going to work, dude. It's missing a battery. No, that's good, it's good. There's only one battery. Only one battery. Yeah. Uh, I do feel like a bit of a, there's a bit of a hospital pass today uh, with this first, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of try and unpack a concept that we've been looking at as a church, and so I'm going to kind of dance around a little bit, and, uh, and hopefully we'll land it well at the end. But um, the question that, that I want us to consider is when it comes to being a church, are we called to invite people to a pew? In a sanctuary or a seat at a table, and this has been this is a, a question that God put on my heart in August last year when we were away at our leadership doing a retreat, planning this year, which most of those plans went out the window, uh, as has been the case the last couple of years. But that has been a recurring question for us, both in our spirits, but also as we've um, as we've talked with our church. And I want that to be the question we we kind of consider today. Um, and uh, so, Lord, I just we just give you this moment now, God. We ask that as we open your word, as we have a conversation around some things that like even in our culture aren't really talked about or celebrated, uh, we just pray, God, that we would see it with your eyes. God, that you would, we would, you would just capture our heart around holiness and around family. God, around what it means to truly connect with those closest to us, but also those who we're called to walk with in faith, God. So... We just, uh, we just hand this moment to you, Holy Spirit. We ask you to continue to speak and to continue to draw us into that place you want us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. I was looking at your values there and uh, that, that image of church as family. Yeah, I think nearly every church you've ever walked into or uses that language. But there's not heaps that live it out. Now, I know by extension that, um, you know, Charlie, Jess, they, they use the language of church planting, but really they wanted to build a family. And I've seen that in their lives, I've seen that in their hearts, I've seen that in conversations with Charlie, just this is celebrating great different aspects of the journey of, of what it is to create a community of faith. One of the, uh, well, there you go, I'm not going to be good at this, I'm going to, so this is my friend Big Al, and you can see he's really big because I'm quite big. And he's got me thrown up over his shoulder. Um, Big Al is a friend of mine from Cleveland, Ohio. I spent some time over there working in prisons over the years. And um, he did 23 years in jail. Inside, they called him Green Mile. You can see why. This is really deep voice. Um, but this was on Thanksgiving a few years ago in Cleveland. He'd just been released from jail. We had a relationship with him inside. And he came to faith. 23 years inside, he got released. And he came over for Thanksgiving. And... Um, he sat at the table, one of the first things he said was, 
I've never sat at a table like this. This dude was late 40s, early 50s, and he began to just, just weep as he sat at this table, as we, as we, as we shared uh, our hearts, we shared stories, had conversations, and began to uh, see this journey of healing in him. And that's a journey that's continued over the last five years since he's been released, and, and he's um, serving faith in a local church. It actually meets at a PCYC in the wood in Cleveland. Uh, so it looks very similar to this without Michael Jordan. He's probably got LeBron James. Um, <laughs> but, but very similar to this. And he's serving faithfully there. And it's just such a profound moment of realising the significance of the table. When I think of your name as a church, Oak City, you know, I, I can't, I, the picture I get is this huge oak table where people are, are invited to gather around from all walks of life. And I think it's a beautiful, rich expression of the kingdom of God. Because when we look all through scripture, and I'm setting this up because I believe we need this context to understand what we're looking at in Ephesians 4. So I'm, I'm going to get there. But uh, we've got to realize that Jesus didn't come to save a corporation. He didn't come to redeem a social class. He came to redeem family. He came to marry his bride. This is what we're invited into. Um, you know, when we look throughout Scripture, we see people groups redeemed. We don't see individuals. Even when it comes to the disciples, we see this crazy mix of these, these dudes from all walks of life and all situations, and, and they kind of come together and create this amazing image of what it means to be the people of God. And we continue that tradition on today. Same as uh, Jess and Charlie, uh, I never had a desire to be a CEO of, of an organisation. You put me in charge of a business, it's, it's going to go broke really quick. <laughs> but to lead a family of people whose hearts is for God and whose heart is for people to encounter the, the changing love of Jesus, I'm up for that. Come on. And I think that has gotten lost. I think that's why we need more of what you guys are doing, this, this rebirthing of the church in a way that causes us to stop and consider what it was actually all about in the first place. So that brings me to Ephesians 5. I'm going to read it and then uh, I'm not going to kind of exegete it verse by verse, but there's a, there's a couple of real key concepts that I want us to understand and hopefully you can take from here and really uh, use in your own context. But Ephesians 5, 21 to 29 uh, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is in the context of marriage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I need to do this. There we go. Uh, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her, uh, present her to himself as a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. I'm going to change that. Um, Instead, she'll be holy without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. 
No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. When we take parts of this out of context, parts of this passage out of context, it leads to dysfunctional, abusive, selfish relationships. And that's what we've got to realise. And I'm not saying even the context of Paul's letter. I'm saying there's something wider here that Paul is, is following on from. When we read that passage, um, I did the count, I think I let it, the, the, the wife, the, the, the phrase wife or the wife is referred to eight times, the husband eight or nine times, but Christ is referenced 13 times. Yeah. And this is the context by which we've got to understand what it means to set the table. This is the context we've got to understand when it comes to raising holy homes, creating homes that are holy, families that are, that are striving to see, you know, to be the answer to Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all understood and only understood in the context of Christ. In Colossians, Paul unpacks this a little bit further as well with, with the conversation around family and he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. One of the things I want to highlight here is when you look at each of these four verses, why this isn't as, um, as Christ-centric, this puts the responsibility of each of these things on, on the father, on the husband. Wives, submit to your husbands. They're, 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 he's present in each of these. Husbands, love your wives. Children, always obey your parents. And then fathers, do not aggravate your children. And so we've got this, this kind of, this journey that he takes us on of understanding that we are called to be the people of God in the context of knowing and experiencing and living out who Christ is. You know, when we look at culture, when we look at the world, and we look at some of the most celebrated families, the two that come to mind for me are the royal family and the Kardashians. <laughs> right? I can't think of a more famous one. And the level of dysfunction. Yeah. You know, you've got exposés on Oprah, You've got just, I don't even want to talk about what happens with the Kardashians. <laughs> but like this is this is what our world looks at and goes and celebrates when it comes to family. And and we can uh, we can kind of go along with that, or we can actually put a stake in the sand and say, no, no, no. Family and this whole conversation is not a secondary issue. Marriage is not an optional extra if you happen to like that person just a little bit more. Showing up for your kids isn't something you do if you happen to have time. This is about intentionality. This is about saying this is actually central to our understanding of what it means to be the people of God. That's good, man. And, and what we do in our homes overflows into what we do here as the community, as the, as the body of Christ. We will, we will set um, mindsets, we will set heart, emotional uh, concepts around a table and it will flow into who you are 
as Oak City Church. That's a good name. It starts with family, understanding who we are in the context of God's family, and understanding what we're called to as the people of God. If I could draw circles, and I actually tried on the thing, but it was terrible, so I stopped. Often our understanding of, of, um, of family and of faith is we kind of put, put family in the middle and then we have all these little arrows off about kind of who we are. You know, the, the sport we do, the, 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 uh, the jobs we have, our faith, and it's all kind of sprouts off it. But what we're called to do is we're actually called to have not, not Christ even at the centre, but we're actually called to to be hidden in Christ, for our lives to be hidden in Christ. So that means if we were to draw a big circle, draw a circle like this that represents Christ, then everything else would come inside that circle. And I would suggest you would have that big circle, Christ, and then you would have that next circle, family. And then everything else exists within that. An understanding of who Christ is and what it means to be family, both biologically but also spiritually. That's the invitation that we have. Christ is a central figure. Not the husband, not the wife, not the children, not the sporting endeavors, but Christ as the central figure. So how do we keep understanding this, uh, this idea of the table? One of the things that really struck me uh, recently was just reading Psalm 23. And yeah, Psalm, like, I don't know if when you read Psalms, if you've ever read Psalms, like, almost every time, that like, 95% of it, you're like, yeah, that's all warm and fuzzy. Then there's this moment of, like, stomp them under your feet. <laughs> and even Psalm, Psalm 23, it's like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm going to lie down in green pastures, and it's like, and I'm going to set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And it's like, okay, and then it goes back to, you know, all this nice meadow talk. Uh, but when I've been really challenged with that lately because I've always kind of seen that, interpreted that as, as this kind of almost like, I'll show them, you know, like I'm going to set up a table, you're going to eat like a king in front of all the people who, who called you out and who said you're nothing. And, you know, it's this big stuff you, you know, that's how I've always read it. But recently as I've gone on this journey, this conversation around the table and understanding that, I wonder if, if something else is actually happening here. I don't, I don't know where I'm at with this. Can I just not? Oh, that's good idea, Nick. Uh, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> this, this Psalm 23, like this, this concept of, of make a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Like, I wonder if what is being said there is actually about redemption. I wonder if in that place there's this, uh, that, that God is saying, I have the ability to create family in the midst of conflict and disagreement and that what the world will see and yearn for will draw them towards the bride of Christ. That what he's saying is there's going to be people who come up against you, but when we set that table and we create that space where people can come and stories are shared. And there's this, there's this mutual submission in the context of the family of God. 
And maybe, just maybe, an amazing, miraculous restoration can take place. Amen. That has changed so much of how I see it because I, I did this, it kind of came out of like I basically studied tables throughout Scripture. You know, all the times people sat at tables. And one of my favourite, and I can never say his name, Mel Shizadek. No, I said the right person. Jonathan's son with David. Um, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love that image. So this kid is, is crippled, he's lame. By all rights, David should have executed him as the rightful heir to the throne of Jonathan. And there's all this stuff in it. And it's just like, man, come sit at my table. Yeah. And his father had died and his kid had no hope in life. And yet he sat at the king's table day after day with so, welcome with his family. Yeah. And we see it... Um, of course, all through the New Testament, Jesus just just he just sits at tables uh, with people he shouldn't. You know, he's, he's, he's reclining in the Pharisee's house, and this woman comes in and starts washing his feet. He's, he goes to Zacchaeus's house. He, he eats with the sinners and the tax collectors, and um, and I love it as well that Jesus actually flips the tables over and he goes, "What you guys are gathering around isn't what I've called you to." This isn't what the table's meant to look like in the house of God. And so he turns, that's what he turns over. And, and I think there's such a rich expression of what it means to gather around the table. And obviously that finds its um, penultimate moment in both the, um, the Last Supper before Jesus dies, but then also in this, 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 this kingdom banquet that, that we all look forward to one day, where we'll be in his presence. Forever and ever, and feast at his table, and his home will be amongst his people. So, there's so many things that happen around tables there's nourishment, there's conversation, there's challenge, there's disagreement, there's reflection. You know, one of the questions we ask our kids every night when we sit around the table is what, what was your favourite part of today? When we sit, we reflect. You dream. What do you? What, what do you? What's What's God putting on your heart? What's some? What are you looking forward to next week? You know, my kids are young, as you can see. So you know, quite limited in what that is. But that's so much of that is what happens around tables. But I want to suggest what we see in, in Ephesians here. Um, there's three things that we see really clearly, and this is, I guess, what I want to leave with you is the question: What? How are you setting your table? And I'm talking about in your marriage, I'm talking about in your, with your children, and I'm talking about here at ABC. How are you setting your table? In verse 25, you know, it says, For husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for I think it's three really significant things we see here. That we're gonna, and, and the first is what you see here is, is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. If we are not first laying our table with sacrificial love, then we're missing something. If it's all about us, if it's all about somebody coming under me and being subordinate to me, being controlled by me, then we are no longer operating within the heart of God. In fact, we've gone so far from it, it's not even in the same universe. But when we understand sacrificial love in the sense of 
and what it means to, to submit and in a sense of what it means to sacrifice and lay down one's life. We begin to love generously. We begin to love in extraordinary ways. So we need to be setting out our, our tables with this sacrificial love. In verse 26 and 27, it talks about making her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she be holy and without fault. So we see the sacrificial love, and here we see the sanctifying love. The love that makes us like Christ. And so we, 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 when we sit around our tables as families, are our words building up and affirming? Are our words creating a space for someone isn't just following rules, but is actually being shaped into the image of Christ? See, one of the things that um, I've, been, I've been processing lately is that um, I, I don't want to raise well-behaved kids. Like, I don't. I want to raise kids who've been shaped in the image of Christ. Because more, I don't think in our culture compliance is a biblical concept. I don't think it is. We see submission in the context of Christ as biblical, but I actually believe for my children to thrive in the image of Christ in the world in which they're growing up in, they will not always be able to comply. That's good, man. And so I've got to have this in my, in my mindset that my goal is not behavior modification. My goal is sanctification. That when they sit around my table and, and, and my son has just started school drops a word that, that, that we don't use. And I don't just say we don't, you know, we don't use that word. I actually unpack and talk about how the, the word, the, what Jesus talks about, the words that fly out of our mouth come from the heart. What kind of state we want our heart to be in. We have that conversation because that's a sanctifying conversation. It's not a my way or the highway. It's not fit this mold and we're going to go. It's about sanctification. Not compliance. Now, do I want my kids to have manners? Yes, do they? <laughs> I'm working on that. But, but, but this, I, my, what's most important to me is sanctification. And we see that here, this spotless, faultless bride. Not because she doesn't swear, but because she's a Christ-formed in her. That's the goal and it's beautiful and it's rich and I think that's such a, a departure from so much of how even Christians have done family. You know, as we walk into a church, um, you know, the, the, the standard that we often expect is, is that people behave a certain way and if they behave a certain way, they'll, they'll belong and maybe one day they might even believe some stuff about God. But if they behave... Sweet, but we're happy we've done the behavior modification. But inside, they're still dead. Jesus talks about that. But what we're actually called to, as churches, as families, is that someone walks in and they simply belong because they are marked by God, because they have created the image of God. Mm. So every person has value and belongs. Good, then what happens is, over time, they begin to they begin to believe some things. They begin to hang on. This Jesus you're talking about, that's, there's actually life in that. And, and there's, this, there's this journey of, of, of construction and transformation that takes place and formation of Jesus where ultimately they don't learn to behave, but they become. 
Good man. Like Christ. So we go from a, a mindset as parents, as people in the church, people bosses, whatever your context might be, of going, okay, you behave, you belong, and how you might believe one day to, hey, you belong. And, uh, and let's, let's talk about who this Jesus is and bring you that place of being to believe it. And then ultimately you become. So good, man. Become like Jesus. That's sanctification. That's sanctifying love. And finally, um, in 28, verse 28 and 30, 28 to 30, sorry, uh, or 28 to 29, because for some reason I've cut it off there. But um, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Um, I, I don't know about you, but the phrase self-love is like, can you even say that? Can you even say that? But I believe, I believe our culture in Australia is really bad at this, at, at encouraging someone to consider the way that God has created them and to learn to celebrate and, and empower that. And notice again, we've got to know this is in the context of Christ. This is in the context of, of, of being formed by Him. This is in the context of, of sanctification. It's in the context of sacrifice that we actually learn to love who God created us to be. Now, do we see our faults and our weaknesses? Yeah, of course, but we actually learn to love, and that becomes this, it becomes this cycle of perpetual love when we learn to sacrifice, when we walk in that sanctification, when we understand self-love, and then so we can then go back around and do the sacrificial thing again. Like this is so important for us to understand. To be able to recognize, to be able to create environments where people can recognize the gifts. God has placed in them. Where people feel valued, valued and cheered on. Where they feel like there's a sense of, hey, who I am has significance. And yet, we've all stand and fall short of God's glory standard. Yet, there's a whole lot of mess. And, you know, I love the image of the treasure in the field that Jesus talks about. Like the dude sells everything to get his treasure. And it's buried in this field. It's filthy. It's dirty. He's going to have dirt under his fingernails. But this thing is beautiful. This is what, what we get to experience as the, uh, as the people of God. Whether you are single, whether you are you know, married with kids or no kids, you are all part of the family. Yeah. Why, just simply because you're here on team, I was going to say team COVID, because that's, everyone's <laughs> got COVID teams, <laughs> team Oak. That's that you are part of a family because you 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 began at some point on that journey of sanctification. You might be really early in that journey. You might be at the point of going, oh, maybe it is real. Maybe it could be. I don't know. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of that sanctifying process, and it's a beautiful, rich thing. So we learn sacrificial love. We learn sanctifying love, and ultimately we learn self. love Yeah, uh, ultimately it's about intentionality. It's about being purposeful, about how we create family. What do we gather around? When we set a table with those three elements, um, 
you know, are we purposeful with, with actually inviting people around that table? You know, are we clear of what our love, what our expectations of someone who gathers around that table? And are, are our expectations kind of really low? Because I don't have expectations on my kids that they can sit around my dinner table. What, uh, what, what do we expect of people as they gather? And does that become a hindrance? Does that become something? And so we're invited. I just want to share this. This is something I put together a couple of years ago when I think I had my second son. Just that intentionality around being a father. And I just thought to share it. I don't do it well most of the time. But I'm trying to shape, me and Casey are trying to shape more and more around this, that my goal as a father is to launch fully functioning, eternally motivated, Holy Spirit form, Christ following adults into the world who know his heart and do his will. Because it's so tempting just to want to create well behaved children. I've talked about that, I jumped into that a bit earlier, so it's a bit out of context, but you know, it's so easy as churches to want to create good, well behaved people who say they're Christians. That um, who sit in pews and uh, say all the right things and all the right times and, and, and know the right Bible verses, but are we really seeing the sanctified, transformed lives? Um, that's that's what we're invited into. Now we make plans for everything else in life. We make plans for holidays. We budget. We do all sorts of things. At the moment, we feel like those plans never happen, um, but we make them. But often we just make up being offended. We make it up how to connect with those most significant in our life. How do we genuinely do a faith community that is family, that reflects God's heart? We talk a lot as a church about um, reflecting God's heart, representing God's kingdom, and reproducing what is good. And that's, that's what a family does. A family creates that environment where God's heart is reflected, his kingdom is represented and where good things are reproduced. And again, good things in the context of Christ's redemptive work. We're going to end it there. So I just want to pray for us and um, happy to chat and pray for anyone afterwards. Or, um, yeah, but Lord God, I thank you that you invite us into family. Mm. God, you're a father to the fatherless. You create spaces where we can we can find new life, even from the most destitute, dry, lonely places. And maybe that's a people's story here, God, or maybe maybe they've always thrived in family and, and this is an extension of that. And I praise God for that. But Lord. I just pray, God, that we would be a people, that your church would be a people. Oak City, Hawkesbury Valley, God, that our churches would be known for sacrificial love, God, for sanctifying love, and for real sure sense of who we are, God, for that self-love, that recognition, God, of, of who you are in us and us being created in what means, that we are worthy of love. God, help us to create those environments. And Holy Spirit, right now, I just want to lift up anyone here for whom family is just a really hard thing. 
I just want to reiterate that, that your heart breaks, mm. that you grieve for the brokenness in families. And God, I pray that you'll just, just continue to do that healing. Mm. Well, I thank you for what you've done in my life in that space. And I know there's still so much for you to do. But God, we thank you that part of the redemption you invite us into is to actually be a to be able to create those spaces for other people. To create redemptive spaces, God, out of our own hurt and out of our own loss or, or, or what we've missed out on. Mm. So, God, I just pray right now against anyone's sense of because they haven't experienced family, because they've had dysfunction in that area, or even because maybe their own marriages have broken down, God, we just stand against the lie that that, that expels them from being able to be family members. We stand against that now in the name of Jesus, God, and we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your restoration, God. And we choose to boldly step into what it looks like to be your family. Mm. We choose to boldly step into that place of, of mutual submission, of life-giving submission, God, of challenge and celebration and of love and joy, of trust, God. I pray that where there might be offence or betrayal, God, that you would just you would just cast that out now in the name of Jesus, God. That there would be a holistic healing, God, mind, body, spirit, God. That there would be a real sense, a real passion, a desire for family once again, to connect once again, to be vulnerable once again. And I just pray uh, protection on this place, God, that this would be known as a place where families can thrive and where people uh, are made whole, God. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace, and we choose to learn into it together this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brother. Hey, how about we thank Phil for this morning?